To say one waits a lifetime for his soulmate to come around is a paradox. People get sick of waiting around, but the art of commitment is a saw that eventually cuts. It was 1983 and 18 months passed since the mysterious world of Buster Lee began. New characters have come on the scene. Things have changed for the better. Overwhelmed by success, Neely Cairo hired 20-year-old Mayella Williams as a personal assistant. Williams is psychic. She can remote view, but she has a long way to go. New, too, is wannabe celebrity and know-it-all 13-year-old Venture Falls. Joan Reynolds' niece ventured dreams of a career as a model, actress, and singer. Last but not least is a part-time surfer, child of privilege, and bon vivant, Mutt Keep News. He's driven, ambitious, and lacks an empathy chip. But Mutt Keep News is so movie star handsome, so dope, he's stopped every day by strangers who want his John Henry. Set your calendar to 1983, and welcome to part two of season one of the mysterious world of Buster Lee. Promised Land Lake was a bucolic place. Set in the middle of New Jersey, few people knew about it. Camping with his friends, Lars and Beck, a miniature blue healer, the youngster wore rust-colored corduroy shorts and a white t-shirt. Because he was a mosquito magnet, he doused himself in citronella. Not the sort to share much, Lars was sort of amazed when completely out of the blue, Buster Lee said, you know, Sometimes I think being a private investigator is too dangerous, but then I think of the time we went to the moon. Although the assignment was chancy, with treachery lurking around every corner, in the end, we made a difference. Looking at the moon above, Buster Lee continued, even if our trip was secret, even if no one knew what happened, we knew. Poking a marshmallow on a stick and holding it over the campfire, Lars said, I remember it. Fifteen years after the official moon missions ended, a health food company sent us on a secret mission to the moon to find a mine. A mine that contained the last known source of the mineral, Demodium. Twisting the marshmallow a little, Lars said, The Chinese nicknamed the mine El Dorado because to them, Demodium was as valuable as gold. Poking around the bag for another marshmallow, Buster Lee said, but history shows it all started in a tea shop in Beijing. China. As a food supplement, Demodium had a strange past. Because they believed Demodium to contain the power of liveliness, 
Chinese men consumed it like we consume bottled water or microwave popcorn. In 1925, the supply of demodium dried up. Demodium may have vanished, but its lively restorative qualities were never forgotten. In 1978, under the temporary leadership of Chinese leader Madame Sun Yat-sen, China began going to the moon. Secretly. Like anything Madame Sun wanted, the Chinese moon landing program was done on a huge scale. Instead of building tiny rocket ships like the Russians or Americans, Madame Sun ordered spaceships with living quarters as big as the Empire State Building. Rather than putting two men on the moon, Madame Sun sent 300. For the next year, the secret Chinese space program combed the moon for hidden treasures, but found none. That was until 1979. Close to the Sea of Tranquility, where Apollo 11 set down, Chinese spacemen found a mine, complete with trams and tracks. It looked like the gold rush days of 1840. Presumably built by an ancient race of moon men, the modern Chinese space explorers ventured in and within a few steps discovered a supply of demodium crystals the color of butterscotch. What a morale booster the demodium discovery would be for China's growing coterie of sleepy old men. Hearing the news, the great Madam Sun ordered another moon mission, this time carrying 1,300 astronauts and 500 mules to haul the precious demodium back to the rocket and home to China. To withstand the rigors of the airless satellite, the mules were outfitted with spacesuits that accommodated their unique shape and needs. Then, at the ripe age of 92, Madam Sun passed away. And with her death, the Chinese manned space program ended. After her funeral, there would be no more moon trips and no more demodium. El Dorado was abandoned, and those who discussed it paid with their lives. Denmark. Dr. Miles Scorpio was a character on the wrong side of history. A handsome but disgraced scientist from Helsinki, Scorpio discovered Demodium was more than an elixir for lost youth. He stumbled upon a discovery as important as the wheel itself. While searching for a hair loss cure, by folly, Scorpio added a teaspoon of Demodium to his experimental shampoo instead of baking soda. As was his wont, Scorpio took the beaker containing the speculative shampoo into the shower with him. Five minutes later, when he finished washing, standing in front of the fog-covered mirror, Scorpio towel-dried his hair. It was then he felt something strange sweep over him. An unusual flash. A warm sensation. Without knowing how or why, he was thrust back in time two minutes to the shower he was just in, shampooing his hair again. Scorpio was a man of science. He was not prone to hysteria. He stepped out of the shower, began towel drying his hair again. This time, he checked his watch. It was 9.10 p.m. As soon as he put the towel on his head, boom, he was back in the shower. With the water running, he checked his watch. It said 9.08 p.m. 
He repeated the experiment three more times. Boom. 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 And with every attempt, he traveled back in time. Although he never invented a cure for balding, Scorpio invented something more important. He invented a time travel shampoo. Sitting at his desk, Scorpio speculated. If a teaspoon of demodium could send a man back in time two minutes, imagine what a cupful could do. Speculating further, if he could travel back and forth in time, he could change history. And if he could change history, he could rule the world. These kinds of thoughts showed how dangerous, how plum crazy Dr. Scorpio was. All thanks to a mistake he made trying to cure baldness. Which prompted Dr. Scorpio to think, how much demodium was available? He ran to his supply closet and made a depressing discovery. He was out of demodium. He used the last of it, calling his supplier. Scorpio was told demodium proper vanished that a small supply existed was a fluke. Nevertheless, the supplier, a curious fellow, mentioned that in the late 1970s, he believed the Chinese had a secret space program that while exploring the moon, stumbled across a generous vein of demodium, so pure, it looked like homemade butterscotch. Well, it was the 70s after all, and anything was possible. Having secretly traveled in space on a rocket ship called the USS Reliant, nothing prepared Buster Lee for walking on the moon. Like many an extraterrestrial adventure, this one began with a phone call. A month ago, a health food company worth billions secretly contacted international investigators and its owner, Neely Cairo, to find a rare liveliness enhancer called Demodium. To bring it back to Earth, they needed to send men to the moon. The health food representative said the company wanted to copyright the demodium and own the monopoly. Knowing better than probing the man on the phone further, Neely Cairo summoned her logistics expert, Lars LaGuardia, and her astounding son, Buster Lee. Of course, because they were young, demodium was of no interest to Lars or Buster Lee, but the thrill of the moon was something crazy to ponder. Two weeks later, wearing a red, white, and blue striped spacesuit, Buster Lee stood in the sea of tranquility and walked in the footsteps Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin had kicked up in 1969. Behind Buster Lee was Lars and Beck the Super Pooch. Lars took notes and photographs. Beck chased clouds of lunar dust. According to the brief, after landing, they were to look for a mine. Pointing left, Lars said, It's over here. I see it now. Beck and Buster Lee hopped over. When the three amateur astronauts stepped into the opening, Buster Lee called Mission Control. Come in, Mission Control. This is Buster Lee. Over. We found the mine. Over. In his headphones, Buster Lee heard the reassuring sound of Joan Reynolds' voice. 10-4, Buster Lee. Over, said the retired thespian and former fashion model. 
Before taking another step, Buster Lee heard something. Turned and looked. The Sea of Tranquility was there all right, as was the base of the old Eagle One. Behind it, the USS Reliant, and beyond that, there was nothing unusual. Had Buster Lee been paying attention, he would have noticed the US flag on display since 1969 had been replaced by the red and gold Chinese flag. Turning his attention to the mission at hand, Buster Lee said, We have entered the mine. 10-4, over, said Joan. Proceed with care, Buster Lee. Over. That's when the trouble started. A series of deadly moonquakes shook the foundation where Buster Lee, Lars, and Beck stood. Within a minute, half a ton of rock and dust cascaded down, sealing the opening of the mine shut. Buster Lee, Lars, and Beck were knocked over and could not leave. Despite having a few extra oxygen pills, the supply of air in their tanks was limited. The trip, which began so hopefully, soured like an egg salad sandwich on a summer day. Crestfallen, Buster Lee radioed Mission Control. But the solid wall of rock that made leaving the mine impossible made sending an SOS equally impossible. At Mission Control, Against the whir of computers and screens, Joan's eyes welled with tears. Myella Williams, although a fledgling herself, had no time for such emotion. If Buster Lee, Lars, and Back were to be saved, they had to get to the moon fast. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee Presented by Adam Ive International Investigators HQ in New York, Joan picked up the phone. Knowing the U.S. space shuttle was not available, she called the Kremlin. This is the Kremlin in Moscow. With whom would you like to speak? Joan said, This is Joan Reynolds from International Investigators in New York. I need a rocket ship for an emergency trip to the moon. Can I speak to President Gorbachev, please? Give me a second, said the operator. A moment later, Gorbachev was on the line. The burly Russian said, I hear you want to borrow a Russian spacecraft for a trip to the moon, Miss Reynolds. Yes, Mikhail, said Joan. I hope it's not a problem. I'll make it up to you. Within 20 minutes, Myella Williams and Joan Reynolds were aboard the cushy Air Force One 
on their way to Kazakhstan, ground zero for all things outer space in Russia. Not tidied from the party the night before, the interior of Air Force One looked like a Haitian bordello. Although Joan was comfortable with the cornucopia of plastic daggers, the novelty shrunken heads that festooned the cabin walls, and the cardboard box of plantains in the aisle, Maela thought the decorations unworthy of the White House. Snatching a tourist-grade voodoo doll stuffed with pins from the adjacent seat and dangling it in Joan's face, Maela said, Galloping galaxies. Exactly what kind of message does this send anyway? Meanwhile, on the moon, the situation for Lars and Buster Lee grew more dire by the minute. Eating special pills loaded with life-sustaining oxygen, Buster Lee, Lars, and Beck removed their bulky space helmets. Standing beside a 12-foot stalagmite, the color of honey, Lars' Geiger counter made an agreeable sound. Using his flashlight to illuminate the cave, Lars said, I think we hit El Dorado, Buster Lee. According to my findings, the stalagmite here is 100% demodium. They say it's the juice of life. The juice of life. Little did anyone know, there was more to demodium than life itself. Dr. Scorpio from Helsinki knew. But he was on a train carrying a phony Cuban passport. Destination. Kazakhstan, a rendezvous with destiny. Once beyond Earth's gravitational pull on the Russian-made rocket named Alexei, outfitted with complimentary English instructions and labels, Mayela, sitting in the command chair, called Lars and Buster Lee. She said, This is Mayela Williams from International Investigators. If you hear me, Buster Lee, come in. Come in. Hot-tempered and emotion-surging, Maela said, Joan Reynolds and me are on the way. Do you hear me? Over? The Russian-made rocket came with artificial gravity, making the trip to the moon as comfy as a taxi ride in Key West. While fetching a glass of milk, Joan discovered a strange but extremely handsome 62-year-old stowaway. Who are you? said the retired athletic beauty. I'm a scientist from Helsinki. That's in Finland, right? said Joan. My name is Miles Scorpio. Dr. Miles Scorpio. Oh, my word, thought Joan, leaning a heartbeat away from Scorpio. He's as handsome as Saddam Hussein or Sean Connery, all rolled up in one tamale. Placing her palm on his beefy chest, she said, why did you sneak aboard our ship, Dr. Scorpio? Or may I call you Miles? With that twinkle in his eye, the kind that make ladies swoon, Scorpio said, I'm a good guy. I'm here to help save Buster Lee. Of course, it was a lie, but Joan, overwhelmed by amorous feelings, didn't know it. What's come over me? I'm confused. Smiling like a cat who swallowed a baby canary, Scorpio said, Don't worry, little one. I'll do the thinking for both of us. With that, Joan collapsed like a sock monkey in Dr. Scorpio's arms while he kissed her willing, soft lips. 
trapped in the Demodium mine on the moon, Lars peppered Buster Lee with more questions about his past. I bet you never thought you'd go to the moon, said Lars, resting against the wall. No, Lars. When Mama Neely asked me to join international investigators to supplement my meager earnings as a freelance photobug, I never thought I would end up on the moon, trapped in a mine. I wanted to be a freelance photojournalist, but the competition was stiff. Who wants to hire a teenager anyway, right? Petting back's head, Lars said, We've never talked like this before. And as we have nothing but time ahead of us, tell me, when did you become interested in photography? I heard you were born in a commune. My story began in 1956. Mama Neely was a beatnik living in Far Rockaway. It was all free love, down with Eisenhower, stop the war, woman's rights. In those days, she used to preach, people are like snowflakes, no two are the same. One day in a huff, Mama Neely left her bougie family and like Lewis and Clark, headed west to Oregon, where she joined a commune called J. Per Spice. Built near a beach, J. Per Spice was an experimental woman's community. Mama Neely made a living as an artist and dabbled in astrology until she discovered she had real psychic powers. The commune elder sent Mama Neely to the Center for Research and Enlightenment in Virginia Beach. There, she fine-tuned her skills and began helping police find missing children, which soon brought her to the attention of every TV and radio show interested in that sort of thing. It was all very Yuri Geller, right? During a trip to upstate New York, she met my daddy Otto, a young, good-looking swashbuckler from Switzerland. Soon enough, she was in, how do you say, a family way. Mom and Neely returned to Oregon, and nine months later, on a cold, rainy, windy night, in a teepee, I was born. As yellow fluids seeped from the decaying pipes that crisscrossed the aging rocket ceiling, Myella banged a failing gauge back to functionality. How could the cosmonauts tolerate the mediocrity of their spacecraft? But then, thought Myella, how could Russians stand in breadlines? Putting that idea aside, she looked out the viewport and wondered where Joan was. Setting the spaceship on autopilot, Maella climbed the stairs to the galley below. Looking every bit the former fashion model, Joan sat at the dining table drinking a glass of milk. With her attractive blonde hair tied in a bun, Joan looked at Maella and said, We have a surprise guest. Miles, can you come out here? Dr. Scorpio, meet Maella Williams from International Investigators in New York. Few men were as movie star handsome as raffish Dr. Scorpio. Even though he was 62, he had piercing blue eyes, high cheekbones, strong kissable lips, a flawless complexion, and his body was that of a 21-year-old from the Alvin Ailey Dance Theater. Maella, who idolized Leon from the TV show Fame, was completely surprised. As Dr. Scorpio stared at her, Maella stammered like a schoolgirl at a Sadie Hawkins dance, 
His raw, untamed animal energy swept her off her feet. In every way, Scorpio reminded Maella of movie icon Super He-Man, Charlton Heston. I'm, uh, I'm, like, uh, I'm meh, meh. What she's trying to say, Dr. Scorpio, is she is Maella Williams, the newest member at International Investigators. She can remote view. His need to rule the world undiminished, Scorpio focused on manipulating Joan and Joan only. As far as Maella was concerned, despite his inclination and her youth, Scorpio paid her no heed. Taking Joan's hand, the heartthrob Scorpio looked longingly into the retired actress's love-starred eyes and said, I'm drawn to you, Joan, like a moth to a flame. Maella is a girl, but you're a red-blooded, fully-realized woman. You make my tartan blood boil. I must have you. I must. Trapped in the Demodium mine on the moon and surrounded by the remains of long dead Chinese donkeys, Buster Lee continued to tell Lars his remarkable life story. After the commune in Oregon, we moved south to Orlando, Florida. Mama Neely set up an office downstairs from our apartment and read tarot cards for locals while helping authorities find missing people, pets, and children. Her tarot card readings were so good, she attracted paying clients from Scotland Yard, the CIA, FBI, KGB, Hollywood, the NSA, IBM, NASA, Ford, GM, NBC, and, thanks to a first lady with an interest in things otherworldly, the White House. Two years ago, we moved to New York City. Mama bought an apartment in the landmark building, the Nebraska. Then she opened International Investigators. Growing up on a commune, I didn't want to live in Gotham City. So I rented an apartment with Mama Neely's chum, retired actress, gamer, and athlete, Joan Reynolds. She owned a house that had an enormous one-bedroom apartment in Travistock, New Jersey. Lars said, You better put the helmet on, Buster Lee. The oxygen pills are about to run out of juice. After Buster Lee's helmet was on, Lars said, And what about Beck? Where's he from? Hurtling toward the moon aboard the rusting Russian rocket, Maella and Joan learned about the Demodium. Opening the fridge, Maella grabbed some milk. As she poured it, Scorpio said, In the late 70s, the Chinese made a secret landing on the moon. While poking around, they discovered a mine containing a rich vein of the nutritional supplement Demodium, known in the East as the juice of life. Demodium, when mixed with tea, restored a man's vitality. Just one cup of Demodium and 80-year-old men were carrying on like randy youngsters. Despite his enthusiasm for the stuff, Scorpio kept his actual interest, time travel, hidden. Maella wanted to believe the handsome scientist from Helsinki, but there was something off about his story. Standing by the stairs leading to the control room, Maella said, Excuse me, but I better get back upstairs, or we may never save Buster Lee, Lars, and Beck. Climbing the stairs to the command bridge, Maella thought there was something awful about Scorpio. She couldn't put her finger on.
on the moon, having run out of oxygen pills and the air tanks running low, Busterly and Lars were reaching a critical point. Lars cradled Busterly's head. Once comfortable, Busterly said, I found back at Karen's pet store. When I moved to Travistock, I took Joan's advice and got a dog. Little did I know a dog would change my life. Beck is a miniature Australian blue healer, one of the brightest lights on the tree. Sometimes I think Beck knows me better than I know myself. Turning on his side, Buster Lee asked, What's your story, Lars? Lars, from the Ivy League, said, My parents are from the Academy. My daddy went to school at Yale, where he met my mama. He studied statistics, she majored in fiction. In the 70s, when I was boarding in Switzerland, they offered Daddy a job in Eastern Europe. On their way to Albania, he and Mama vanished when their driver lost control. But I grew up in Korea, Mexico, India, Japan, Paris, Brazil, and I speak 10 languages and play piano. Taking a sip of water, Lars said, Where did you meet Joan Reynolds? Joan's a genuine character, said Buster Lee. But before I tell you how I met her, which is not that interesting, let me tell you who she is. Joan Reynolds grew up in California. She was a competitive swimmer. When she was 15, she caught the attention of a scout from the U.S. Olympics, and they put her on the team. In 1936, Joan, along with a gaggle of randy young Olympians, climbed aboard the USS Manhattan and set sail for the 1936 Olympics, hosted by the Fuhrer himself. Second night at sea, Joan and the girls' swimming team partied so hard they were banned from competing. When war broke out, Joan's talents at crossword puzzles were such that they sent her to Bletchley Park, where she befriended Alan Turing. Missing the States after the war, she returned to New York and was spotted by a modeling agent who signed her immediately. She's the new face of American youth, said Look Magazine. For all intents and purposes, they weren't off the mark. Within a month, Hollywood was knocking on her door. When Republic Pictures discovered she could swim, dance, and sing, she was signed to a deal. In Hollywood, she befriended Esther Williams. After the war, Joan appeared in dozens of pictures. Her roles were throwaway, but she made a lot of money acting, swimming, and modeling. Her biggest part was in two late-entry Tarzan flicks. She played a Jane-like character and spent most of her time swinging on phony jungle vines with Boy and Cheetah. When her film career cooled off, Joan appeared in dozens of TV shows and commercials, always playing a Hollywood glamour puss. Her second husband, Andrew Farrell, a successful soft drink executive, passed away in 1974, leaving a sizable fortune to Joan. Joan, who was not short of cash herself, lived a life of ease. Still needing solace after her husband's passing, Joan saw my mom in Neely Cairo for a tarot card reading. Although they were very formal at first, Joan and my mama became quick friends. In the late 70s, she left Hollywood and bought a home in Travistock, New Jersey. Hearing I was looking for an apartment, Joan reached out and I moved in soon after. Joan is the grandmother I never had. She loves Beck and she's a lot of fun. She's vegetarian too. Macrobiotic. So that's how I know Joan.
In the 60s, flying to the moon took three days. Since Apollo 11, science made quantum leaps in speed. By 1980, a flight to the moon took only 30 minutes. Sitting in the thread-worn command chair designed by a former double spy from Odessa, Maela thought, space travel isn't the only thing happening at a breakneck speed these days. Due to his Hollywood good looks and predatory nature, Dr. Scorpio had no trouble getting Joan Reynolds to do whatever he wanted her to do. As Scorpio and Joan made out like love-struck teenagers, Maela did some research on Demodium. The computer room of a Russian-designed rocket ship is like nothing you've ever seen. Imagine crawling into a narrow rectangular hallway, some 25 feet long, with thousands of tiny red and blue lights. As there's no gravity or air in a Russian-designed computer room, you suit up. The keyboard, primitive by today's standards, is located 20 feet near the end of the hall. When she found the on button, Maella booted up the machine and waited 10 minutes for the seven inch screen to start. When it was running, using a Russian English instruction manual, Maella found the Demodium files. Poking through the data, many uses and theories surrounding Demodium were revealed. For example, when consumed as a tea, some studies reported a new liveliness among older males. In the early 20th century, Farmers at Honey Pot Hill Orchards in Maine added Demodium to their fertilizer and claimed it made the apples plumper, sweeter, and bursting with juice. But it was the last mention, the one that suggested Demodium could aid in time travel, that caught Maella's eye. An article from Finland said, when combined with the correct ingredients, Demodium could bend time. As suggested, if the box used for Schrodinger's quantum mechanics exercise were painted with a thin varnish containing demodium and a man crawled in, the man could travel through time. Shutting off the computer, Maella thought, Well, isn't that interesting? If you could travel in time, you could change history. And you could change the outcome of events for your benefit. So which job you got, which lottery numbers won, which country won the war, and which baseball team would take the World Series. If you could time travel, the world would be your oyster. Leaving the computer room, Maella realized the real reason Scorpio snuck aboard the rocket ship was to get his paws on the Demodium so he could time travel and alter human history to his advantage. Peeking through the hatch separating the bridge from the galley, Maella saw Joan being undone by Dr. Scorpio. At 66, Joan was a seasoned investigator, a stunning beauty, a crossword champion, an actress, and a former Olympic swimmer. Yet despite her achievements, Joan was a red-blooded all-American female with all the wants and needs that come with the title. Even though Scorpio was a snake, a manipulator, a self-obsessed monster who only wanted power and money, rare was the woman who wouldn't succumb to his advances. Maella landed the Russian rocket on the moon. With Scorpio tagging along, Joan and Maella found the Demodium mine where her friends were trapped. 
Wearing the bulky Russian spacesuits, Myela, Joan, and Scorpio ate some red oxygen pills. Once the pills took effect, they removed their helmets, making communication easier. That's better, said Joan. I hate those silly helmets. Grabbing her ray gun, Myela said, We should be able to save the boys before they run out of air. Myela set her ray gun on high. Inside, Lars said, I hear something, Buster Lee. Myela and Joan are here. Walking to the debris-blocked entrance of the mine, Lars said, Hey, Myela, can you hear me? Myela! Hey, Myela, can you... Hey, Myela, can you hear me? Once she cut an opening, Joan and Myela found the boys. Looking at Buster Lee, Joan said, Thank goodness you're alive. We thought we'd never see you again. Here, eat this oxygen pill. Looking at Scorpio, Buster Lee said, Who, who is that? That's my new friend, said Joan. Dr. Scorpio. Grabbing Joan by her hair in one hand and her ray gun with the other, Scorpio said, You girls get over with Buster Lee and Lars and give me your ray gun. Looking at his quarry, Scorpio smirked and fired the ray gun in the air. Nobody moves and nobody gets hurt. Miles, said Joan. I could have loved you, but you tricked me. Pointing his ray gun at her head, Scorpio said, I'll finish you one by one, and I'll take enough of this Dimodium to change the past and rule her forever. Losing her cool, Joan said, Have you gone mad, Scorpio? Have you flipped your wig? Scorpio answered by pointing his ray gun at Joan and pulling the trigger. But nothing happened. He tried again, and still nothing. In a flash, Beck sees the moment. He sunk his razor-sharp incisors and canines into the leg of Scorpio's cheap Russian spacesuit. The madman from Helsinki screamed. Ah! Beck bit deeper. You see, Scorpio, said the sassy teenager from Greenwich Village. You can't stop international investigators. Thinking you try something stupid like this, said the striking 20-year-old. I drained all the power from Joan's ray gun. Scorpio gasped for oxygen. Oh no, hell Mary, Scorpio is suffocating, said Joan. Does anyone have an extra oxygen pill? Myella dug into her purse and stuffed some oxygen pills in Joan's hand. Holding Scorpio's head in her lap, Joan gave him the pill and squeezed some water in his mouth. Thank you, Joan, said the air-starved doctor. Wrapping the small puncture in the leg of his spacesuit with a piece of cloth, Joan said, That should keep you until we get back to our rocket ship. Lars hid a pair of handcuffs in the side pocket of Beck's spacesuit. Reaching in, he pulled them out. Having cuffed many madmen before, Lars secured Scorpio in two shakes of the lamb's tail. Fearing another moonquake, the team, under Maela's hell-bent-for-leather leadership, returned to the Russian rocket ship and blasted off. Now hundreds of miles away from the lunar surface, Buster Lee climbed in the weapons chair. He reached for the missile launch controller. Watching him closely, Jones said, What in Lincoln's name are you doing, Buster Lee? Seizing the controls, Buster Lee aimed the deadly missiles at the mine and let them rip. 
they hurtled toward the mine at breathtaking speed. Holding Joan's arm, Buster Lee said, there's enough demodium down there to make Scorpio's dreams a reality. After the mine was destroyed, Lars held back by the viewport overlooking Earth. There she is, Beck, he said. On that shimmering ball of blue and white are winners and losers, meat and potatoes, a human stew of triumph and tragedy. Joining Lars and Beck by the window, Buster Lee said, Earth is a world of wonder. No one man should control its destiny. Handcuffed and ashamed, Dr. Scorpio nodded in agreement and quietly sobbed. Maybe he wasn't such a mean old man after all. Denouement. Two years passed since Buster Lee's adventure on the moon. It felt like another life ago. Sitting in front of the cozy campfire in Promised Land Park with Beck and Lars, Buster Lee poked another marshmallow on his stick. For my money, said the young buck, if I had a choice, and granted I've seen both, I would rather be on Earth. Oh yeah, said Lars, taking a bite of the gooey hot marshmallow plucked right out of the campfire flame. Why is that? Because the moon is a lifeless lump of rock. But Earth, despite its broken-hearted people, is a land of milk and honey. Isn't that so, Beck? Seeing a fork of lightning, Buster Lee counted back. Five, four, three, oops. Five, four, three, That's more like it. You've been listening to The Mysterious World of Buster Lee, presented by Adam Ive. Mystery World theme by Oliver Wickham. Follow us on Instagram. Go ampersand pod underscore planet. For show notes and merch, go to podplanet.org. Special thanks to Tattoo Sound and Music. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee is written and produced by podplanet.org.